Thank you, Dan, and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful worship today. We continue in our sermon series from Matthew's Gospel. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be in verse 37 and 38. Sent out. If you're a farmer, it's what you think about all year long. If you make your living with your hands in the soil, then the thought of harvest is never, ever very far away from your mind. The ground has rested through the winter. You've turned the soil. You've planted the seed. You've fertilized. You've tried to pray away the pest and hope away the hail, the drought, the floods that threaten to steal a year's worth of labor. What will be the harvest this year? Will it yield fruit abundant and plentiful? Everything in your life, if you're a farmer, depends on the harvest. How much food you'll be able to put on your family's table for the rest of the year. Whether or not you'll have enough money to buy next year's seed corn depends on the harvest. Can you really take three slim yields in a row you ask yourself, the cycle of the farm says that the bounty will eventually come. Will this be the year of the great harvest? Will the weather cooperate or will the season too wet cause mold or too dry cause parchment? Everything depends on timing. And now it's harvest time. Jesus, in our passage today, looks upon all humanity as if it's a wheat field ready to be harvested. He looked out, and the harvest was ready and ripe to be reaped. But there were no laborers to go out into the fields. There were no hands to give Jesus any help in gathering the grain. Well, look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. But I want you to notice the verse right before, the sending verse. Why does he want folks harvested for the kingdom? Look at verse 36. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks at lost humanity, and he sees they need to be harvested. He has compassion upon them because they are distressed and they are downcast. They look like sheep that need a shepherd. And so, seeing the lostness of the world, Jesus says they need the hope of the kingdom. Jesus wants to bring the sheep into the fold and the grain into the bin. It's harvest time. The harvest is still ripe today. The, the harvest is still ready. Harvest times by God's calendar, the time between the ascension of Jesus and the return of Jesus. For these 2,000 years, it has been harvest time or harvest season. The season is now, and God calls us his laborers, they go into the field. Will you go into the field? Will you yourself share the story of Jesus? 
Will you pick the grain and bring it into the kingdom? Will you lead the downcast and the distressed into the arms of God and God's people? Well, the first thing we see in these two verses is the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Our task as followers of Jesus Christ is to bring more people into God's kingdom, to bring more folks into the bride of Christ, the church, to bring the good news of great joy for all people everywhere. Sometimes we go across the street and sometimes we go across the globe bringing the kingdom of God to people. A church member shared with me that his father was about to undergo a serious surgery and he shared Christ with his father before the surgery and his father accepted Christ as Lord and Savior as a result of a witness from his son. If I were to ask you right now to take out a, a piece of paper and a pen and write down five names of folks that you are trying to lead to Jesus... Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker. Could you honestly write down the names of five people that you are actively trying to lead to Jesus Christ? Could you name four? Could you name three? Could you give me two? Do you have even one person that you're trying to bring, a sheep that you're trying to bring into the fold of hope. You see, the harvest is plentiful, and therefore if we cannot come up with a half dozen names or even a single name, then, well, we have failed to be a harvester, and God wants to send us out. Bob Evans is a retired Lutheran minister, and he, after he retired, he served as a volunteer with a Lutheran congregation for evangelism, being an evangelist consultant. And one week he put an insert into the bulletin into the Lutheran's church order of service, and it simply said this, surveys show that the average Lutheran invites someone to church every 14 years. Surveys show that the average Lutheran, this is from a Lutheran minister, this isn't from me, he put it in the bulletin in the Lutheran church. The average Lutheran invites someone to hear the hope of the gospel once every 14 years. This isn't a Lutheran problem. This is a believer's problem. When is the last time that you reached out and invited someone to hear the hope? Of Christ. Why do we not share our faith? Why are we so fearful? If we have the good news of great joy, which is to be for all people everywhere, and it really is good news, why would we be reluctant to share good news? I can tell you what I think. I think we've been ground down by an accommodating culture that teaches us we have no right to share our faith with anyone. We've bought into, you believe what you want, I'll believe what I want. Everybody has their own truth, and we will not try to influence each other. 
In fact, we really have reinvented God as a Western culture into a kinder, gentler old man where hell is a monstrous myth and everybody in the end gets into the gates of the kingdom. You go your way, I go my way. We'll all be okay in the end, a universal sense of salvation. We've adopted what I would call Oprah kind of theology. In fact, Oprah said, and I quote, one of the biggest mistakes that humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. And why is that true, Oprah? Because you say it's true? Our Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one no one, when he says no one, I think he means no one. No one comes to the Father but through me. In fact, Acts, last Sunday night, Brad taught you the verse, there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. It is the way of Jesus, or there is no way to the Father. Great intellect, C.S. Lewis, said, man, I would... I would give everything that I owned to be able to say to you intellectually, theologically, philosophically, in an honest way, said Lewis, I would give my all to be able to say everybody will be saved in the end. But he says, I cannot say that because I know what God's revealed word says. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. There are not multiple paths. There is one way God's way, God's provision through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus wants the harvest to come in a moment that he's having compassion for the people, seeing the multitudes, he had compassion upon them. They're distressed, they're, they're downcast. Instead of letting our culture shut us up and drive us away from sharing our faith, we must rather call and hear the Messiah of compassion who has the goal of sharing the good news, the hope with all people to learn that they can live life differently, that God loves them, that they don't have to carry the burden of their sins of yesterday, but rather to give them God's message of grace, to let them know that they can be free from the power of sin. And Paul would tell us free from the power of death because of the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Christ, that there can be life eternal because they can choose to worship the one and only resurrected Savior. The reason there can't be many paths to eternal life is there is only one who was raised from the dead, and that's Jesus. There's another reason, perhaps, that we're reluctant. We don't feel worthy ourselves. We feel like we're an unworthy messenger to deliver this very worthy, great message. And so, because our lives fall short, we keep our mouths shut. But the story is not dependent upon us. The story is dependent upon Jesus' perfect life. We're not telling the story of our own perfection, our own crucifixion, our own resurrection, but rather we are telling the story of Jesus Christ. And he has called the broken and the sinful, and we are amongst the broken and the sinful called to be at his side. 
And hear me this morning that this gospel is not for some people. It is for all people everywhere. And that the proclamation of the angel at the birth of Jesus, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for some people somewhere. No, it is for all people everywhere. Jesus didn't seek to establish the preaching and teaching of God's Word in only the fastest-growing neighborhoods or the most popular school districts or the best mailing zip codes, the people with the greatest financial capacity. The mission of Jesus does not employ discriminating tactics. The mission of Jesus is to bring the good news to all people everywhere. The gospel is for all people in all places and not some people in some places. We need to be a church like that. Historian Michael Green, speaking of the first century pagan world, said, the church, the early church, made the grace of God credible by a society of love and mutual care, which astonished the pagans And the pagans recognized the way that Christians treated each other and the way Christians even treated their enemies was something entirely new. They'd never seen anything like this before. And thus it made credible the claim that in their Christ, the new age had dawned. The harvest is plentiful The world is dying and lost and alienated from God, separated from his people. And it's not just in the lands far, far away. It it might be our neighbor across the street. It might be the new teacher in the classroom down the hallway. It might be the new physician who's joined your practice. Maybe it's an old, old friend with whom you've never had the courage to be honest about his need for Christ. The harvest is plentiful. Secondly, the workers are few. The workers are few. Look at the end of verse 37. But the workers are few. God does not send without equipping. God does not send those who are not ready or able. And this is where faith commends because we may not think we're ready. But our readiness is not based upon what we ourselves think. For it is the power of And the God who sins. And if God sends us, then we will be ready. And it all begins with a very simple thing of praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Of asking God each day what I myself, what you yourself are to do as a laborer bringing in the harvest. And you don't have to know everything. I think about the blind man in John chapter 9. He had been blind since birth. Jesus had just healed him. And they kept asking him questions about his new hope and his new, eye, his new eyesight. And what he said was, I can't answer all your questions, but this thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. You might not be able to share every theological truth at every level, but you can stand with the blind man in John 9 and say, I, I don't know everything, but I do know this. I used to be in sin, and, and now I'm forgiving I used to be afraid of death, and now I look forward to embracing eternal life. See, God does not have a plan B. God's plan was this. The Christ would lead the disciples. The disciples would reproduce themselves. 
and lead others to Jesus. For these 2,000 years of history since the time of Jesus, we are the church, the bride of Christ. We are the plan of God to save the world. We are the bearers of the message. We cannot shun, we cannot shirk our responsibility. There is no other plan. We are the only laborers to go out in the fields and bring in the harvest. Deserver asked Lyman Beecher, a well-known preacher, why when he preached there were so many converts every Sunday. And Lyman Beecher put it this way, I preach once a week, but I've got 400 church members, and they're out there preaching all week long. And that's the way it is. We are sent out into the harvest. The harvest isn't expected to come to us at church. Sharing Jesus is my job, not my paid job, but my job as a follower of Jesus. But hear me now, it's not any more my task than it is your task. You too are a bearer of the story of Jesus. You are the light of the world to let your light shine. You are the salt of the earth. You are the vessel that contains the holy message, the earthen vessel, Paul would say, that houses this eternal message. And you must go and you must speak and you must share. And sometimes, congregation, we can get caught up in playing church and spinning all the plates and keeping all the ministries going. And nobody has more ministries than First Baptist Church that, well, sometimes we can forget the very purpose for all the ministries that we have, and that is to lead people to say, Jesus is Lord. In a book by Irvin Wallace, he tells a story of a man by the name of William Phelps Eno. Do you know William Phelps Eno? William Phelps Eno is considered the father of modern traffic safety. When William was born, there were no automobiles, just horses, and he watched travel transformed from just single horses to carriages and then from carriages to automobiles and he wrote a lot of articles that were published on traffic safety and and practical traffic patterns as they were trying to find ways for all these cars to intersect and and to not run into each other and he even established the first organization to study traffic safety but there's a great irony about William Phelps Eno, and that is William himself never drove a car. He told everybody else how to drive a car. He was the expert on traffic safety, but he never ever himself sat behind a steering wheel. He knew everything that everybody else ought to do, but William himself never, ever drove an automobile. How about it, pastor? How about it, staff members? How about it, deacons? How about it, Sunday school teachers? How about it, members? We can talk about leading people to Jesus all day long with the end of the day. Are we sharing that story? Do we see our task to be a labor that goes into the field. There's a third thing. Pray to the Lord to send out workers. Look at verse 39. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We don't want to share the gospel mechanically. 
We want to share the gospel empowered by the Spirit of God. Therefore, we pray the Lord of harvest that he will call us and give each one of us this week and the next week and the next week divine appointments where we can share the hope of Christ Jesus with someone. I bet you don't know the name of Albert McMakin. He was 24 years of age, and there was a revival in town, and every night Albert McMakin loaded up his pickup truck and brought friends to the revival meetings, the evangelistic campaign in the city. And though you've never heard McMakin's name, one of the friends that he put in his truck and brought to the evangelistic campaign was a guy by the name of, of Billy Graham. Who have you not put in your truck that would be led to Christ, that would change the world. It's a difficult prayer. You cannot pray for God to send folks into the field unless you yourself are willing to go. I can't stand up here and pray, God, send laborers, send somebody to invite somebody to Jesus unless I myself am willing to share Jesus. See, the reality is that very little evangelism happens in this sanctuary, and, and that's not a bad thing, really. It is, we are to go out into the field. We can't bring the field into here. It is us going out and then folks coming in. You see, evangelism doesn't begin here. We are sent out from here to evangelism in the fields the wheat is not going to come to us. I know it's a fish story, but it's a true story. Jim Cohn was boating on the intercoastal waterway of North Carolina. He was there with his wife and his daughter, and a Spanish mackerel actually jumped out of the water into the boat. And his daughter got a little cut on her forehead, and wife got a few cuts. But other than damage to the fish, there wasn't any damage to anybody else. But it's such an odd story because instead of trying to catch the fish, the fish tried to get caught. He's just boating along, and the Spanish mackerel just jumps into the boat. That's not the way it usually works if you fish. You've got to go out. You've got to cast the nets. You've got to be intentional. The fish don't just jump in the boat. Someone has said that there are two questions at the entrance of heaven. The first one being, did you come alone? And if the answer is yes, then the second question is, how could you? Did you not share that other men could receive forgiveness? Did you not share that other people could know eternity in heaven? Did you come alone? And if you did, how could you? How could you not be a laborer in the field? A good day for pastor and people as we go through Matthew's gospel to recommit ourselves individually and corporately as a church reach all people with the gospel. I was in attendance for this one. It was the welcome speech for the Texas A&M University Medical School's Match Day in Round Rock, Texas, March the 17th, 2017. The dean of Texas A&M Medical School, Dean Kerry 
Byington shared about her first day as a resident. The MASH day is the day when the medical students open up their envelopes and they find out where these new doctors are going to be doctoring their very first day, where they're going to spend their three-plus next years trying to help people with medical issues. Well, Dean Byington explained on her first day as a resident in pediatric medicine that during the day when there were a lot of seasoned doctors there, this is her first day of residency, the first day she's making medical calls, medical decisions. It went all well during the day when all the, the seasoned doctors were there, but at nighttime, she just happened to get the luck of the draw. The first day of residence, she was the on-call pediatrician that night, and her pager went off as fate would have it. There was a, a preemie baby born, and she described and held her hand that the baby was the size of a potato and could fit in the palm of her hand, and the nurse paged her the pediatrician on call, and she ran down there, and the, nurse, the charge nurse gave the stats and the facts, and the baby was struggling for its very life, and the nurse looked at the first evening resident her first time and said, well, what do you want me to do? And that brand new doctor said, well, somebody needs to call a doctor. <laughs> and the nurse looked at the young doctor and said, I just did. And you are she. What do you want me to do? Luckily, the nurse and the doctor worked together and saved the preemie infant. And the dean said from that moment she realized, I am it. The responsibility is mine. When it comes to leading people to Jesus, you are it. If you have said yes to Jesus as Lord, then your primary purpose in life, there is no other primary purpose, not the accumulation of material things, not the development of a lot of great hobbies, not even family. There is no primary purpose to your life which precedes the kingdom of God being a laborer in the field. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things shall be added unto you. You can have all the other things, but your primary purpose as a beggar who's found the bread is to lead other beggars to say, I found it. Here it is. Take and eat. Do you have the list of five people? 20 people? Two people? Who do you want to see in God's kingdom this year? Who do you want to hear say, Jesus, you are my Lord? Let us pray. Oh God, what a powerful word from our Jesus. That the harvest is ruining like a zucchini left on the vine too long. We must go and we must go now and we must have purpose and passion in telling the story of Jesus. In his name, amen.